Holy Spirit's been speaking to us about heart issues. And it's kind of funny, is from week to week, sometimes I lay out my messages way in advance. Other times, the Holy Spirit just directs us step by step. And when you look back, you can say, oh, he lays a foundation and lay this here and you do this here. And you understand what he's saying to us. But he's been dealing with us about heart issues. Um, it, we kind of started with this idea of being devoted to one another and brotherly love, really being committed to one another. And then we moved from there to this idea of not just being devoted, but loving one another like God loves us. Then we moved on to the idea of honoring one another, preferring one another above ourselves. Then we moved on to exposing the root of bitterness, because that's something that, if it's not dealt with, it springs up and defiles many. And last week we talked about maintaining a spirit of unity. Today I want to talk to you about the cure for division. But before we look at a cure, we need to see what's going on. And when we talk about this today, this is not, I don't know of any big news, okay? But I know that the Holy Spirit is always on time. And He knows what you face. Again and again, I can tell you, if you spend time in your devotions and you consistently listen to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, the Word of God is always on he knows what you're facing. He knows what's coming down the road. He has a word for you. The Apostle Paul had to address the issue of division amongst the members of the church at Corinth. And if you'll take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, I want you to listen to what Paul says. Paul says, brothers and sisters. If he's talking to brothers and sisters, who's he talking to? Believers. Yep. He's talking to the church. Okay. So he addresses them as brothers and sisters. Now, what, this is what he says. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy, and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Paulus, are you not mere human beings, he says. I want you to notice first what Paul says to them. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a backhand, okay? It's a sharp rebuke. He says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Do you hear what he's saying to him? He says, I can't talk to you like you're spiritual people. I can't talk to you like people who walk in the Spirit, because by your actions, you're showing me that you don't, because you're still worldly. Now, here's the first thing I want you to notice. Where you find divisions, you're going to find worldliness. Okay? Any place that you find division, you're going to find worldliness. This message about the remedy for division, this is not just a message for the church. This is a message for the home. This is a message for the workplace. This is a message for the ministry that you're a part of. This is a message for where two or three are gathered together. There's usually some kind of hassles. Huh? Sometimes if you get more than one person together, a lot of times there's some kind of problems or difficulty that comes from. And here's the thing. Division is an enemy of your vision. 
Division is an enemy of your vision. Division consistently kills vision. It consistently does. Whenever you allow division into your life, when you allow division into your home, when you allow division into the church, any time that division comes, it automatically attacks the vision of that group. But what we find here is, I want you to notice that where you find division, you're going to find worldliness. The scripture tells us in Galatians chapter 5, if you walk by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Romans 8 tells us that those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Paul, in essence, tells him, I can't deal with you as people of the Spirit because you're not people of the Spirit. You're fleshly. You're worldly. You're carnal. You're a me. At best, this is what he's saying to him. At best, you're a babe in Christ. Okay? May I suggest to you today that there are many people in families. We're addressing this to the church, to Christian people. In many families, you can't address them, a husband and wife, as spiritual people, because they're not, because they're still carnal, because they're still fleshly. And a lot of family reunions where it's Christian families, you can't address them, you can't talk to them as spiritual people, because they're not. They're still carnal. In a lot of churches across America, around the world, if the Apostle Paul was writing to him, he would say the same thing. I can't address you as spiritual people, as people who walk in the Spirit. i got to address you as carnal people, as people who are worldly. There's a lot of people who are still worldly. They're still carnal and just infants in Christ. The ones that have been in church for a long time, those are the difficult ones to deal with. Now, I'll say something. If someone just got saved three months ago, a year ago, you know, a year and a half ago, and they're still acting like kind of a baby, you kind of expect that. The ones that are hard to deal with are the ones who have been around church for a good while. Physically, they may be an 18-year-old. Maybe they grew up in the church. Okay? Maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe they've been around for a long time. The reality of it is in church, oftentimes there's people who they've been in church a long time. And they know the right things to say. They know the Christianese things to say. They know the right responses. But they're still really carnal. They still haven't grown up. And what really is dangerous is that if you've been around church for very long, and they simply show up, church is a crazy place. A lot of places, all you have to do is show up on a regular basis, and they think that you're mature. I'm telling you, there's a lot of Pastor Rodney, and you pastored for 40 years, Pastor Reed, in the first service. They could tell you, I'm sure that they would, they're both very gracious men, but they could tell you stories of grown people who you think you can depend on them, you can rely on They're mature. They've been around for a while. And as I said, a lot of times in church, if you've been around for a while and you show up, they automatically think that you should be in a position of leadership. And so because someone has been in church for, grew up in church for 15 years or whatever, they put them in a place of leadership. And then they wreak havoc. 
the Bible says that before we put someone in leadership, we need to know them. We need to test them to see if they're really at that place of maturity. But what you'll find is they've been around church long enough to know the language. They may even serve in a position of leadership. But that does not change the fact that they're still worldly. I want you to notice this. Where you find division, you'll find other kinds of sin. A person may be able to put on a facade, but their family and friends see another side. If you hang around a person who is divisive long enough, you'll find other types of sin connected with that. You're going to find a sense of worldliness with them. James says this, James chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have what you want. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? You hear that idea of worldliness? Friendship with the world means enmity with God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, there's a, a bunch of things that that scripture shows us. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I want you to know, where there's division, you're going to find the enemy is the author of division and confusion. Again and again, he wants to bring division in your home because he doesn't want the vision that God has for your home to be fulfilled. He wants to bring division in your home. And so, again and again, he's going to come to you, and he's going to come against you, and he's going to tempt you, and he's going to draw you, and he's going to give you all kinds of bait. Because she's going to say something, or he's going to do something. And you have an opportunity, if you want, to respond and take a hold of that bait that he set out for you. But the word says that we're to resist the devil, and he'll flee from us. You notice there also this issue of pride. It says that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. You think about when division tries to rise up. How many times is it an issue of pride? Well, they're not going to talk to me like that. I'm not going to accept that. They're not going to make me look that way. I don't know who they think they are. Again and again, pride rising up. Here's the thing. No wonder there is division in the body of Christ today. Because many in the church have a longing for friendship with the world. I want to say that one more time. No wonder there is division in the body of Christ today. Because many within the church have this longing for friendship with the world. They want to be, they care more about what the world thinks than what Christ thinks. They care more about fitting in and being accepted by those in the world than with pleasing their Heavenly Father. 
We want to be accepted by society. We want society and, and everyone else to think well of us. They have forsaken verses such as 2 Corinthians 6, 7. It says, therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. We've left behind verses like that. Now, the second thing, where you find divisions you'll find people who aren't ready. So the first thing we said to you is where you find divisions, you're going to find worldliness. The second thing is where you find divisions, you're going to find people who aren't ready. Two of the things that you usually find closely associated with division is some form of lust and some form of pride. Now, a lot of times we think of lust as a sexual thing. It may not be a sexual thing, but it's the same spirit behind it that says, I want what I want, and I want it now. I deserve it. I want to be happy. There's usually an elevated sense of self-importance, a desire to be seen and to be heard. Where there's division, you'll often find people who are vying for a position of advantage over somebody else. But I want to say this, but they're not ready for it. They're not ready for that position. They're not ready for it. Typically, where lust is allowed free reign, the only way lust can have free reign is when there's no self-control. And self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. The ability to discipline yourself, to delay gratification. Second Corinthians says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. What's it say? Let us not become conceited. Let us not become prideful. Provoking, agitating, and being jealous of one another. What did Paul say about this? Verse 2, Paul said, I gave you milk. Not solid food. For you were not ready for it. Where you find divisions, you're going to find people who aren't ready. They weren't ready for the word of God. You weren't ready for it. He says, indeed, you're still not ready. We've talked to you about this before, but you're still not ready. May I suggest to you that people are continuously involved in divisions and strife. Here's the reality. If you're around people who are divisive, it's hard not to kind of have the residue of that on you. You understand? That doesn't mean that you are divisive. If division is everywhere, it could be you. All right? We're not saying it is. But if you are constantly, everywhere you go, there's division and confusion, it's possible that you could be part of the problem. But those who are continuously involved in division and strife, remember we said we're not ready? Where you find divisions and strife, you'll find people who aren't ready. I'm going to suggest to you that the person who is continuously in division and strife may find that they're not ready for the coming of the Lord. You know what he said? Jesus makes these things. says, there's going to be many who say to me that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I look like I was ready. Didn't I look like I was mature? I'd been around church for a while. I'd served in these positions. But what is one of the most hateful things that anyone could ever do 
is to sow discord among the brethren. It's to tear down the work. It's to destroy the vision that God has for his church. Okay? And so we want to be very careful because if you find a vision and you're a part of it, you might not be ready when he comes. The third thing, where you find the vision, you're going to find people who are acting like they never met Jesus. Where you find the vision, you're going to find people who are acting like they don't even know him. Verse 3, he says, you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? And it talks about the division of people choosing sides and stuff like that. Paul, in essence, says you're acting like the old man who has not been regenerated by Christ when he says you're mere humans. I want you to see the progression that takes place. It starts with feelings of jealousy. For since there is jealousy and quarreling. It starts with feelings of jealousy, feelings of rivalry. It starts with competition. These feelings, these thoughts, leads to strife or quarreling. So it moves from thoughts to words. Now people are affected by what is said, which leads to division affecting our actions. And so people take sides for one person, and now someone said something. It started with a thought. Someone, you know, they didn't say, they didn't invite me. They didn't tell me how good I did. They didn't recognize what I did. It starts there. It starts with a feeling, with a thought. It moves then to words. Someone starts to say something. And then before long, when someone says something, what happens? Then people start taking sides. It causes division. Well, I agree. I like Shannon. I think, oh, that's terrible what they did to Shannon. Oh, my. That's terrible. It's none of your business. Stay out of it. When is the easiest stage to deal with those things? The easiest stage is not once you've already said the words. The easiest stage to deal with it is not once people have already become divided and division has come. The easiest stage to deal with those things are when they are a thought. You see, before everybody else is polluted, before your husband is mad at them, before your wife is mad at them, before your kids are upset with them, before you bring in your best friend and your grandmom and your cousin and your great aunt, before your great aunt is upset, before she is defiled, it's so much easier to deal with it in our thought. It's so much easier. It's so much easier to say, Lord, I choose to forgive. Lord, I choose not to take offense. Lord, I'm not going to be angry. You know what, God, I know you're going to take care of me. I don't, I don't have to worry about that person being blessed. Not every person who sits in church week after week are truly Christians. Not all who name the name of Christ belong to him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. We can identify both the true and the false by the fruits they produce. True Christians show forth the fruit of the Spirit who indwells them. So if you're a true follower of Jesus, this is what you're going to have. Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm sorry, that's what you're going to produce. Okay? If you're producing something else, grapes, grapes don't grow on tomato plants. I'm sorry. You're looking at them. And so when you see those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, it is what the Spirit produces in our lives. So true Christians will show forth the fruit of the Spirit who indwells them. While the tares, the Bible talks about the enemy coming in and sowing tares among the wheat. While the enemy comes and tries to sow discord and dissension, we need to be on our guard for those the enemy places among us and exercise both wisdom and discernment in dealing with them. But we also need to do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says, verse 5, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? That's what it says. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Is What's the first one? The very first one that we talk about is love. And so the reality of it is, is that love enables us not to be so easily offended. Now, you know what? There's some days, you know, motors, uh, motors are designed to operate under extreme pressures with a very tight, they move very tightly. There's not a lot of space there. But for them to function under a lot of pressure, a lot of heat, with little space in between, for them to function, I don't know of a motor that doesn't need what? Oil. We're designed to be able to function and to move in really tight places under a lot of pressure and a lot of heat as long as we have something in us. What is that? Spirit. The oil of the Holy Spirit. A motor can run for hours and hours and hours and just a lot of pressure on a lot of heat on it as long as the oil is full. But you start draining out half the oil or you try to run it without the oil you're going to find that before long that engine seizes up. And that's the same thing with you and with me. So as long as the oil is there, as long as the Spirit's at work in our lives, we can endure all kinds of stuff. And it doesn't even slow us down. Other people are, aren't you mad? And we're like, what are you talking about? Aren't you upset? I'd be offended. Now, what are you talking about? I'm, it's not a big deal. But when your oil gets low, when the Spirit starts draining, when you haven't been filled up, when you haven't had an oil, some of you need an oil change. I can just tell you right now, this is a prophetic word for somebody. Somebody needs to go in for a good oil change. Huh? The Spirit, you know, it's kind of, it's broken down a little bit. You need to be refilled with the Spirit. And when we're refilled with the Spirit, do you ever notice that people say things or do things or things happen and it just doesn't bother us? What's the big deal? See, because you're made for that. You're made to function. Listen to me. You are made to function under difficulty, under pressure. You're made to function. You're made to do supernatural things and be able to respond in supernatural ways. You are designed for that as long as you stay filled with the Spirit. As long as you stay filled with the Spirit. 
but you let the spirit drain, you let it lack in your life, and every little thing is going to set you off. Every little thing is going to bother you. Hopefully the church is only a storm with members. That's why Paul admonishes the church in Rome to behave decently, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, debauchery. But notice what he adds with them. He says, not in dissensions and jealousy. And you know what? There's people who sit in church week after week who their hearts are filled. They would look at someone who says, oh my, they're immoral. Yuck. But their hearts are filled with jealousy. Someone else gets recognition. Someone else gets an advancement. Someone else gets blessed. Someone else gets recognized. Someone else gets invited. God's speaking to you today. He wants to drain those things like jealousy and envy out of our lives. Because as long as you keep it, you won't ever be happy. He wants the joy of the Lord to be your strength. He don't want you to, well, so-and-so invited them over, and, and they didn't invite me, and someone neglected me in some way. Listen, be thankful for what God's done. Be thankful for what he's given you, and I promise you he'll give you more. And he'll give you more friends than you know what to do with. He'll take care of you. Church members are influenced daily by the moral culture. I'm giving you an hour and 30 minutes a week. It's not adequate to counter the culture. The church is so influenced by secular culture that many think, talk, and act in its image instead of the image of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. The world standard is one of self-promotion, self-esteem, self-worship. And other people have value as long as they're willing to idolize us the way we idolize ourselves. They have value as long as they see how important we are and go along with our plans. Such an attitude always leads to dissensions and jealousy. The inevitable result of worshiping the God of self. It always leads to division. And when it's all about you, listen, when it's all about you, the funny thing is you think if it's all about me, I would be happy. But the person who everything's about them usually is the least happy around. Isn't that amazing? But the person who turns their self into caring for other people and promoting other people and focusing their attention upon the Lord and what God would have them to do oftentimes seems to be the person who has that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The cure is found in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. We've read this for you numerous times recently. We're taking another look at it. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. It says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace shed upon those who belong to him through faith in Christ enables us to deny worldly passions, to put away immorality, and live in godly humility toward one another. It's the opposite of pride. It's just the opposite of what stirs up division. Godly humility. His grace, His grace just doesn't let you go out on Friday night or Saturday night and get high or drunk or sleep with someone and come into church and be forgiven, His grace gives us the ability to live in humility 
another, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This, then, are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Now, Paul is writing to a young pastor named Titus. And he says, Titus, I want you to teach this with all authority and don't let anybody roll their eyes. Look at the person next to you. Say, don't be rolling your eyes here. There's no rolling your eyes. There's no popping an attitude. He says, this is what you're to teach with all authority. That God's grace is going to allow you to live in humility towards one another. It's hard to fight with someone who's being humble. It's hard to argue, even if someone wants to argue with you. If you're humble, you don't have to get sucked into that foolishness. Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourself. Consider others more important than yourself. More valuable than yourself. How an atmosphere changes when humility comes in on the scene. How things change. What a beautiful sight it is, is the family where there's humility. Between a husband and wife, where they prefer one another above themselves. It's hard to fight with one another when you're preferring the other person above yourself. It's hard for the divisions to find root when you're picking them out on a regular basis, but when you're walking in humility. Now, I'm going to say this. There's going to be some people who, according to their fruit, they're living like they don't know him. There's going to be people who, according to their fruit, and probably who will stand before God if they don't change. And they may not be a sexually immoral person. They may not be the person who's robbing the bank, but they're the person who is continually in causing divisions and quarrels and strife amongst people. And probably the reality of it is, I'm not their judge, but according to Scripture, they probably won't be ready when they see him. But that doesn't have to be you or me. Because we can start from the beginning. When we see those seeds of jealousy, when we see those seeds of bitterness, when we see those things start rising up, Before we say anything, we can pluck it out. Before we tell our relatives and our friends about it and our neighbors about it and have them mad at your wife or mad at your sister or mad at your neighbor or mad at the other Sunday school teacher, before we do that, we can deal with them right now. And that's what I would encourage you to do. I'd encourage you and me to live like we've been transformed. Because I'm going to tell you something. God's Spirit lives inside of you. If you just accepted Him, His Spirit lives inside of you. He dwells inside of you. His Spirit has empowered you. He's changed you. He's transformed you. He's at work in your life. So let's remind ourselves, I'm not a baby, and I'm not an unregenerate person. I've been saved. So the next time someone tries to start something with you, you can walk away from it, and you don't have to say anything. You don't have to tell anybody else. You can tell it to Jesus. You can tell it to him, Lord, I forgive them. Don't, Lord, strike them. Lord, expose them for the sins that's in their heart. No, Lord, I forgive them. I pray you bless them. Help me to keep the right spirit. This is a test. Satan's putting some bait in front of me. He's trying to trip me up. I see what he's doing. He's trying to take away the vision. 
is trying to destroy the vision that God has for me. And I'm not going to be a part of destroying the vision that God has for my life. I'm not going to be a part of destroying the vision that God has for my family. I'm not going to be a part of destroying the vision that God has for this company. I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to be a part of destroying the vision that God has for this church. I'm going to recognize it for what it is. I'm going to say no to him, and I'm going to move on because God's got something good. It's right over the horizon for me. And when I pass this test, he's getting ready to promote me. All i got to do is pass this test. He's going to promote me. That's all i got to do. All i got to pass it. But some of you have gone through tests over and over and over again. And he's saying, yeah, I want you to pass it this time. You don't have to hold on to it. Let me deal with those things. i got something better for you. i got something more important for you to be doing than wasting your time angry and frustrated. I want to bring you in peace. So, Father, I pray that we would find, Lord, the remedy for division, humility, Lord, forgiveness, the Spirit of God moving powerfully and deeply in our lives. Father, I pray that as you speak to us, that we would hear what the Holy Spirit would say. I pray that anything that's of me, that my friends, that they wouldn't pay attention to it. But God, what your word has spoken to their hearts, may it find root. And the next time the temptation arises, may you give them victory. May they try to split in my mind. I see people jumping over things, climbing on rocks, jumping from one to the next, to the next, to the next. Just overcoming, not stuck down in a hole, not stuck in a crevice, Lord, but leaping over top of things and moving towards the goal. Lord, it actually becomes fun when you get to do that. They go to higher heights. It's wonderful what you're doing, Lord. And so I pray that you'd bring that to pass in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you guys. We love you.